So we're on week two only of You Belong. I feel like we've been on it a little longer just because I've been talking about it so much. I was actually excited about it way before you know, we even started. We even finished up Simplify. I was still excited about the, the You Belong series. And so um, uh, I, I, uh, I know that we, some of the discussions we've had on Tuesday nights has really prompted me in some areas of how to teach and how to express this message. One of the things I want to make sure that we got was this message isn't inclusive to Keystone. This message is inclusive to Jesus. You tracking with me? So we're not saying this, is, this isn't a marketing ploy. You know, we're not going to go get t-shirts and walk around the malls, although it's not a bad idea. But you belong to Jesus. And whether that's here or the Catholic Church or a, a monastery somewhere in England, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Him. You, you are His. You are His creation. You are the apple of His eye. You are his precious one. You are his darling. You are his lover. You are his friend. You belong to Jesus. This just happens to be a place where we can gather together and with, and, you know, with an anthem raised and say, yes, we belong. We belong as a family, yes, but we belong to Jesus overall. Does that make sense? So I know that we're not, you know, that's just not our style. We're not out here trying to, you know, build a mega church or anything like that. We'll let the Holy Spirit worry about that. What he wants to do with Keystone. But the message for you and I, and for the world, and for the Colorado Springs, and our neighborhoods, is that you belong, not necessarily to a denomination or a church, but you, do, you belong to Jesus, and you belong to the Father, and you belong to the Holy Spirit. We are His workmanship, created for His glory. You've been bought with a price. Don't you know this? Your body's not your own. You've been purchased. You belong to me, as Taylor Swift said. Tonight, <laughs> I think she said that. You know, you know how I know that is I Googled You Belong, and the search was all Taylor Swift videos and it's Vit music. I'm like, well, that must be one of her songs. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, I'm assuming that. So You Belong. <laughs> True story. <clears throat> Second Samuel 4, 4. Going to the Old Testament tonight, which is something new for us. We usually like to hang out in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 4 4, I'm going to introduce this story to you. I'm sure it's familiar to some of you, if not all of you. It said this that it so happened that Saul's son, this was King Saul, Jonathan, this was David's best friend, had a son who was maimed in both of his feet. When he was five years old, the report on Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. This is when they were killed. His nurse, this, is, uh, this, this young boy's nurse, his name is Mephibosheth, picked him up and ran. But in her hurry to get away, she fell. And the boy was maimed. His name was Mephibosheth. The first story we see here about this young man, it's just uh, he's innocent. He's a five-year-old little kid. He's, in, uh, he's got a nanny, and, and uh, she hears the news of uh, this young man's son, or his dad, and his grandfather being murdered in, in, uh, in battle. And the first thing they would do is when they would kill a king and the prince, they would go immediately after the extended family. So that was, that was the reason she was in a hurry. That was why she was scared. That's why she was running. She's like, well, we just heard this news. Now we've got to get out of here because they're going to come after us. They're going to come and kill me, and they're going to come and kill Mephibosheth. And uh, so she was in a hurry, and she dropped Mephibosheth. It's fascinating to me that here's an innocent young kid, I don't know what he was doing at the time, maybe playing with some Legos or Lincoln Logs or 
hoopty hoops or whatever they played with back then. Minding his own business, you know, just maybe just playing with the goats and maybe out in the farm. And he's walking around. He's five years old. Think about it. He's only five years old. He's an innocent bystander. He's just a kid. And the nurse picks him up, and I, can cut, I sort of see the film, you know, playing in my mind. And in the, in, the, in the hustle and bustle in the large household, as you could imagine, King Saul had all the servants and his, and his workers and his other, uh, you know, concubines or whatever was going on. And, and everybody related to that family was in this house, and they were all working together and living together. There's a lot of people, a lot of stuff going on in this home. And here's Mephibosheth playing, innocent, minding his own business. Here comes his nurse. She scoops him up. You know, he's like, hey, nanny, you know, Elizabeth, what's going on? We got to get out of here, man. We got to run. We, your, your dad's been killed. Or your dad's been killed. Your grandfather's been killed. And they're going to come after us if we don't get out of here. And something happened in that, in, that, in that chaos. And she trips. And I can imagine, I always imagine her carrying him sort of like this. And, and she falls maybe face first and just breaks both of his ankles, shatters both of his ankles. You know, they didn't have the technology, obviously, we have today to put pins in and, and to correct the, 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 right the wrong that happened. He was forever changed in a moment. It wasn't even his fault. His caregiver dropped him. Someone that was in charge of his care dropped him and changed his life forever. My first question to you tonight is, has someone dropped you? Has someone dropped you? So many times the people that are actually in our care or in charge of our care have dropped us. And it's impacted us in some way. Whether it's a father, a mother, a grandparent, pastor, teacher, minister, whatever the case is, someone, someone along the way has dropped us and caused us to walk differently. To perhaps wound us in a way that's seemingly irreparable that perhaps wounds us in a way that we'll carry for the rest of our lives. And we see this in his life, that this innocent young man, minding his own business, wasn't, in part of, wasn't part of a war, was just part of the family. And someone that was actually in charge of his care dropped him and wounded him and maimed him for life. Has someone dropped you? Has someone dropped you and wounded you and broken you and, and caused you change in your life as a a parent, a, a, a grandparent, a, a sibling, a pastor, a father, a mother dropped you to the point where you feel like you can't walk anymore? Where you feel like my life is forever ruined? It's not even my fault. Some of us have been dropped by the very people that were supposed to take care of us. But it was in her haste. I don't want to put the blame all on the nurse here. It was in her haste she wasn't even trying to be malicious or do something wrong. She was actually trying to do her job. Think about it. I promise you, if you've been in ministry at all, you've been dropped. I can almost guarantee you've been dropped. You've been hurt and you've been wounded. But I don't know that pastors get up in the morning and say, <laughs> Who can I destroy today? Who's alive? Can I make miserable today? Who can I maim forever today? It, I, I, it's, it's a different perspective for me. Trust me. I think it comes through the heart of healing and forgiveness and walking it out. 
I don't think the nurse got up that morning ever thinking, the person I'm in charge of taking care of, I'm going to forever change their life today because I'm going to drop him. I'm going to wound him. I'm going to break him. I don't think that was probably on her agenda. I don't think it was on her calendar. She was actually trying to do her job. She was trying to protect the one that she was in care of. She was trying to run with him and take care of him. But I like what the Bible says. It was in her haste. It's, it's amazing sometimes that we as human beings, in our haste, that's when we tend to drop and wound people. Listen, there's one thing I've learned. God works slowly. He really does. He works slowly. And when we as leaders and we as pastors and parents, we get in a hurry and we prejudge and we preconceive a notion or we preconceive a judgment, that's when we wound people. It's in our hurry that we usually drop someone. We don't intentionally set out the day to wound somebody. We don't intentionally set that day out and say, I'm going to destroy my kid's life. We don't intentionally destroy our, our members or our leaders or our, our, uh, our apprentices or the people that are underneath us. We don't intentionally set our day out that way, but we, in our haste, tend to drop things. I like slow. I'm learning slow. I don't like it. I'm learning I like quick decisions. I like things to happen quickly. I like things to change quickly. And this journey that I've been on is about slow. Taking your time. Exercising character and discipline. Exercising the heart of God and taking things slowly. Not manipulating the situation. Not trying to rush time. More often than not, when I do that, I, will, I promise you I will go around that mountain again and again and again and again until God finally says, if you'll just slow down and trust me, I'll get you where you need to be. Just trust me. I was thinking of Ted today. Ted, your news of... And I'll let you share all that, but Ted's had some good news lately. How many love Ted? He said tonight, come on. He said tonight, yeah, Ted, I'm going to steal a little bit of your testimony, but he said, you know, you guys took me in at my worst. I belong. Isn't that good? I, I, we didn't get Ted now when he's on a high, you know, he's, he's getting healed and stuff's working out and God's breaking through. We didn't get him, we got him at his worst. He was broken and completely undone. God, that's who we want. Let us love our Ted's right to life. He belongs. Ted said, I belong. I belong here because you brought me in in my brokenness. I belong because I wasn't perfect. I, I screwed up. But we had counseled Ted, and no, he doesn't care if I share this. His past was always hurry and manipulate and change and, right, and work things out on your own and figure stuff out. And we constantly talked to him about, dude, don't do a thing. Let God work this out. It wasn't in the timing that we thought. It was actually not bad, though. Quicker than I thought. Things worked out or are working out. Has someone dropped you? In our haste, leaders, let me just challenge you here. If you're, you've led a ministry or you want to lead a ministry or you're, you're in leadership now, slow down. Take your time with people. People are our most precious commodity. 
When Abraham had taken over the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there was a, or the, I'm sorry, the ten kings, he had defeated the ten kings, and one of the major kings came up to him and was bartering for jewels and was bartering for land and bartering for animals and livestock. In all the cases, Abraham said, no, you know, you can't have any of them. And the king finally, his last request was, give me the people. You know why? Because people are the most important thing. People matter. They really do. Souls matter. Slow down. Take your time. Slow down. Listen to conversations. Listen to the heart of people. Don't prejudge somebody. Don't preconceive a notion or a judgment immediately when you don't know all the facts. I do that as a parent sometimes. Come on, parents, you can join in my failures, right? Uh, we, we, we want to prejudge and pre, uh, pre-yell and pre-spank and pre-ground or whatever you do be, before we know all the facts. And Treats and I balance each other out pretty well at this. Sometimes she'll go, eh, you know, you don't slow down because there's something else going on that you're not aware of. And I'll do the same thing, babe. I know you've had a hard day, and you just kind of bring it down. And, you know, we don't know all the circumstances that are going on. I'm going to encourage you tonight when you're dealing with people, slow down. Slow down. You can measure your steps, you can see where you're going. And although the story works out the way it should, there's a lot of pain involved in us getting there. Here's my second question Have you dropped someone? I know, man. Look, if we're going to ask the first question, we have to ask the second question, right? Have you dropped someone? And I just want you to think about, and maybe it is your children. Maybe it is someone that you were in leadership with and you, and you uh, were leading or you were discipling or there was an apprentice or someone that you were in charge of and you said, man, I, I dropped the ball on that and I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I've wounded you and I've hurt you and I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? I was in haste and I was young and I was immature. Can you forgive me? I uh, had to do this pain walk um, back, back in 19-something, uh, 20-something, 21, 2001. Um, I had asked God the craziest question I've ever asked Him before. I asked Him to change my character. See, in 1999, I was a lot about me. I was about my agenda and my ministry and my my website and you know websites were just coming out so that was pretty cool to even consider that um i was a lot about me and i wasn't a whole lot about patients a matter of fact i you know i do the disc survey and every single spiritual survey test and my compassion and my um that that whatever that trait is compassion uh patience was always like zero or one and i would boast in that yeah that's right (laughs) I got no compassion. Yeah, that's me. And that became part of my identity. That's what I love about, about Jonathan. He's like, I'm not taking that test because I don't want anything to define me. Anyway, another story. That's a Tuesday night conversation. It began to define me. Even though God was changing me, I, was, I would take the tests moving forward with prejudice knowing that I was low in compassion. Everybody, everybody ever do that? You take the test with an already built-in prejudice going, I already know I'm low in compassion. Then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but I begin to change, and my compassion began to change, and, and I began to raise in that number, and that number became actually one of my higher numbers. My compassion level had raised to the point where I could enter into your grief, and I could cry with you, and I could laugh with you, and I could, for some reason, feel your pain. 
That's supernatural. And I had to confess and I had to repent and there were so many people that I had to go back to and say, I'm sorry, I was such an arrogant jerk and I'm sorry that I spoke that way to you and I'm sorry that I had my own agenda behind your back and I'm sorry that I, that I said the things I said. I, I'm, I was young, I was immature. Would you forgive me? I dropped you! And of course, without question, everyone, of course, Pastor Lonnie, of course we love you. Of course we, we forgive you. Of course, of course, yes, yes, yes. So if we're going to ask the first one, we have to ask the second question. Maybe you've been the one that's dropped somebody. We focus a lot on that nurse. Sometimes we need to focus on ourselves. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Or your thingies, as I'm doing right now. You know there's an art to wasting time. I don't know if you knew that. That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, Second Samuel chapter 9. One day David asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show some kindness in honor of Jonathan. It happened that a servant from Saul's household named Ziba was there. They called him into David's presence, and the king asked them, Are you Ziba? And he said, Yes, sir. The king asked, Is there anyone left from the family of Saul to whom I can show some godly kindness? Ziba told the king, Yes, there is Jonathan's son, lame in both feet. You see, now we're going to see this. He has been tagged for the rest of his life as someone who was lame. Someone who'd been dropped. Someone who couldn't walk. Well, where is he? The king said. He's living in the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and got him from the home of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. David spoke his name. When the king says your name, your life's about to change. He said, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth said, yes, sir. And the king said, don't be frightened. I'd like to do something special for you. Isn't it amazing that our first, our first Perception in the presence of a king is fear. It's not altogether unlike our, our first presence or interaction with God the Father. It's fear. And the king assured him, don't be scared. Don't be frightened. I want to do something good for you. Can you just hear the heart of God in King David? I don't know about you, but this changes my life. This, I, I wasn't brought up as many of this generation where God is love and God is lovey-dove and, love, you know, daddy God. That was not part of my vernacular. It wasn't part of my language. It was God Almighty with a lightning bolt ready to strike. And when I hear this, I, I become undone. Can you picture this scene? 
as Mephibosheth, who can't walk, is laying in the dirt. And he's at the king's feet, and the king says his name. I spoke his name, Mephibosheth. Yes, sir, what's the next thing out of the king's mouth? Don't be scared. I am actually here to do good for you. I think our generation needs to hear this so badly. We never heard God wants to do good for you. It was, you had better do good for God. We never get to hear that without me doing anything, I am a loser. I got broken feet. I'm living in a place called Lodabar. I've got nothing. And I'm sitting here sucking dirt. And the king said, don't be scared. I want to do good to you. You guys in this younger generation, don't take it for granted that you have the revelation that God wants to do good for you. I don't know how you got it, but I'm still struggling with it. I still think God wants me to do good for Him. And then I have to do things for Him to earn His pleasure. I have to do things for Him to earn His love. And I have to do things for Him for Him to say, I want to do good things for you rather than me just being me kneeling, scared to death. And Him hear, he, hear the words to me, I want to do something good for you. And let that sing to your spirit tonight. He said, to begin with, don't you love that? In other words, there's going to be a lot to this, so just hang on. So to begin with, I want to return to you all the properties of your grandfather Saul. <laughs> he was what? I mean, you, I, I don't know what the value is, is of this. But this is a life-changing moment for this young man. Life-changing. Not just life-changing. Generational changing. This isn't money. This is wealth. This isn't, this isn't, this is perpetual prosperity. Do you understand that? And then, furthermore, from now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Mephibosheth, you belong. You don't belong here. You belong with me. You belong with a king. You belong with your rightful heritage. You belong, my friend. Tonight, my message to you is in all your brokenness, and all your woundedness, and all your bitterness, and all your anger, and all your fear, and all your past, you belong. And all your daddy wounds, and all your mommy wounds, and all your pastor wounds, and all your spiritual leader wounds, you belong. It all belongs. Somewhere along the line, we thought we had to go get healed of all those wounds before we could ever be used again or we had to go get healed of all those wounds before we could ever 
be accepted by the Father again, or we had to somehow heal ourselves. There's the biggest joke we've ever been, been taught, is we have to somehow heal ourselves, and then we can belong, and then we can be used, and then, we can be, then I can be on stage. If my act is all together, then I can sing, and then I can run the sound, and then I can you know, lead worship, and then I can teach a small group, and then I can greet them, whatever, whatever my thing is. We've actually ostracized some of the best stories in the history of the church by not letting the wounded lead. I want to be a place like that. I want to be a studio like that. I want to be a place where there's paint all over the floor and the evidence of the Holy Spirit's walking around because His footprints are in all of our messes. I want to be in a place like that where I can see evidence of the Holy Spirit's power leaning over someone's life and saying, hey, try this. And then, and then him giving the freedom to allow that. I want to be a place like that. I want to be a refuge like that. I want us to be a people like that. I want Keystone to be a place that people can transition from Lodabar into family. Lodabar means a place with no pasture. A place with no pasture. Here is the king's son, the prince's son, in a place with no pasture. And I can, I, can, I can see so many people walking around Colorado Springs and everywhere I go, and they live in a pastureless place. Pastures were essential in this culture. You know, it's an, it was a very agri society. They, they had cattle and they had corn and they had feed and they had to feed you know, everybody. And they, they, that's how they lived was through pasture. And if you had no pasture, you had no sustenance. You had no supply. You had no cattle. You had no goats or sheep or milk or cheese or butter or anything that you needed to live. It was a lifeless place. So many of us are, have come from or walking through a lifeless place into a place where we belong. So many of us have come from a place where there's no pasture, there's no sustenance, there's no hope, there's no feeding, there's no grain, there's no cows, there's nothing. We've, we're pastureless. And God says, in one moment, oh, you belong to me. I'm going to go rescue you. I don't know how long he spent here, but it was a while, and long enough for him to have a son. So we know that it was quite a while. How many of us have been stuck in a place with no pasture? So a place where we feel like there's just no, there's, I can't feed on anything. I can't supply anything. I can't learn anything. I, the, the heavens are brass. I can't, I can't break through. I can't, I can't get anywhere with God. I, I'm not reproducing anything. I'm, I'm scared and I haven't, I haven't felt like I belong in a long time. Can I tell you tonight, this message is for all of us to make sure that it's a good reminder that you don't belong there. You belong to the King. And you belong to me. Jesus says, you belong to me. Come and sit at my table. You belong. Our men have come so vulnerable with each other and so real and raw and relevant, to use Harlan's three R's. 
that we are able now to confess one to another, and it's in the, it's in the most unique places. It's, it's bro, I, I had a victory today, and this is what I've been struggling with, and here's where I am now, and, and you know, we'll just, what I love about our little pasture place, you know, Keystone, is the, the, the judgmentlessness. <laughs> right? No, thank you, thank you. I always, where's Rachel? Yeah, is it good? Hey, whatever goes on in your room, I'm sure is not as fun as what's happening here. That we don't judge, and that we just nod and say, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we've been there. But it's not a frivolous nod like, oh my God, he just freaked me out. I've got to put my mask on to make sure that he doesn't know I'm freaked out, and I'll just nod and say, no, it's, it's real. Men, all the men can attest. And I know the women can say the same. And you guys are building this amazing community because we're learning to belong. Belonging isn't just attending. Belonging is engaging. Belonging is making a mess on the floor underneath your pallet in your studio. And that's okay. And, and knowing that's okay. Belonging is not even having a clue how to paint but you give it a shot anyway. Belonging is relationship. It's, as Catherine said very early on, so you really want all my mess? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Honestly, I don't really know. I've never done this before. You really want community? Uh, I think we do. We're discovering what that is. You know, it's, it's more than a slogan. I can tell you that. It's more than a buzzword. It means I'm all in. It means I belong. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba said, he's in the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. No sustenance. No life. Man, guys, verse 6. When the king calls you by name. David said, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. There is something so powerful that, that brought this young man to life at that moment. I believe it. It's like your biggest hero that you've idolized for however long. I, I don't know what that means to you, but whoever that big hero is of yours, you know, and they, they would come up to you and, and they would say your name. And I think the first thing that Mephibosheth must have thought was, how do you know my name? How do you know this? You see, the king had already done his inquiry. He had already done his homework. He had already done his due diligence because he belonged. The Bible says, My sheep know my voice. And what does he say? I call them by name. <sighs> Come on. Man, I remember being at, a, at this encounter. And the first time I felt Jesus call my name. And you know what? He spelled it right. <laughs> and I remember everything changed in that moment. Matt, you remember we were holding nails and we were around a fire and we are burning these things and all the crap in our lives and holding this huge spike that represented my sin on the cross and, you know, this profile thing with, I don't know, a thousand sins that I'd committed and, you know, just my crap on a piece of paper, basically. And I remember at that moment, I looked down at my folder 
And we had our names on top of them. And for the first time in my life, I saw my name as beloved and wanted and champion and finisher and compassionate and lover and friend. And every time, for some reason, I don't know why, but every time before that, I'd, saw, I'd see my name and I would see all of my bad. I would associate my name with everything bad that I had done in my life. You know, addicted, manipulator, liar, lazy, characterless, whatever. I'm running out of stuff. That's what I associated my name with. And that moment when the king called my name, in the spirit he said, Lonnie. And everything changed for me. I no longer saw myself as a broken, lame, ugly person, but someone who belonged. I didn't have all that language at the time. I just knew something had shifted in my heart. Something had changed. Something had transformed in me. That once such a devastated person could now be wanted and actually desired by another Especially by a king. When the king calls you by name, everything changes. When the king calls you by name, he he makes you feel assured. He makes you feel like you have finally found your place. When the king calls your name, he makes you feel like your identity is complete. Because he's your creator. He's the one who created you. He's the one who began you. When the king calls your name, you feel like my life has just begun. When the king calls your name, calls you by name, you know that he's done his research on you, right? (laughs) He's done his due diligence, Tom. He knows who you are. He's sought you out. He sought you out. That Jesus told his disciples, say, I want to remind you of something. I called you. You didn't call me. I chose you. You did not choose me. That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? We used to sing this song, I found Jesus, I found Jesus. You know, we're like, this is the stupidest song I have ever heard in my life. I couldn't find Jack, you know? I couldn't find poo in a pasture, man. I couldn't, I can't find me, let alone me finding Jesus. Now he found me. And he calls me by name. He knows his sheep. He knows who they are. And he calls them by name. Because they belong to him. You belong. And then finally he said, you belong at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. (laughs) And it's a great story. I love this story. I've never taught it like this. But I love it. (laughs) I promise you, I'll bring fresh bread every time. It's a familiar story, but this is a fresh way. You belong at my table. From now on, you're going to sit at my table. This is your heritage. You know, sitting at the king's table wasn't just a place to have a meal. This was a place of honor. This is a place that meant something. For the rest of his life, Mephibosheth, forgotten son, ate at the king's table. One moment, my friends, one moment 
one moment that's been happening over a long, slow time can change your life. We think that moment should happen immediately, but actually moments happen after long periods of waiting, of uncertainty. Jordan, every time he opens his mouth, is changing my life, and Sarah does too. I mean, like, just don't talk anymore, Jordan, because... But when I asked you what it was like being in a waiting room, Sarah, I cannot help and hear those words echo continually in my heart. Uncertainty. When you're in a waiting room, when you're waiting for God to call your name, when you're waiting to be called to the table, when you're waiting for your destiny to be fulfilled, you are filled with uncertainty. And maybe you even settle into the place of pastorlessness. And you're like, well, I guess this is, this is the best it's going to get. I guess this place of Lodabar is the best it's going to be. I, I suppose that I'm just lucky to be alive, right? I mean, I could be blaming the nurse the rest of my life. I could be blaming the, the, the enemy the rest of my life. But honestly, I'm just thankful to be alive. And then all of a sudden, the king remembers you. I'm telling you guys, there's nothing more transformative than when King Jesus calls your name. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm about to do something good for you. <sighs> Come sit at my table. For the rest of your life, you'll have nothing to worry about. You belong to me. For the rest of your life, you don't have to be ridiculed. You don't have to live in the dirt. You don't have to live in a, a lifeless condition. You belong to me. And when you belong to the king, your life's awesome. Your life's good. I want to jump down to the very end of that chapter. Chapter 9. Verse uh, 11 and 12, he said, All that my master the king has ordered his servant answer, Ziba, your servant will surely do. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like royal family. Ha! Huh. Mephibosheth also had a small son named Mika. Hmm. Why is that important? Why do you think that's important? It's rhetorical. The, the reason it's... Well, unless Sarah wants to answer. <laughs> no, okay. She's out, she's out. <laughs> Uncertainty was her word of the year, so there we go. It was important because this meant that for generations now, this family was going to be taken care of. Anytime a son's name is mentioned, it meant a new generation had begun. And that, to be mentioned in the Bible, and it's, it's interesting that he said a small son. So he's young. He was small. He was probably insignificant. He was probably a runt. I hate to say that word, but he was small. And yet the Bible thought it was important for him to know that I'll notice even the small sons. They're going to sit at my table as well. Even the generation of those who are broken will sit at my table. Come on, somebody. Even those who have been broken for generations will sit at my table. Even those who have been wounded for generations will sit at my table. Even though you feel small, you'll sit at my table. Even though you feel like you're insignificant, you'll sit at my table. You know why? Because you belong to me. And I take care of those who belong. You're mine. You're my 
craftsmanship. You're my creation. You're my lover. You're my friend. You belong to me. And I'll take care of you. In the very end, he says, Mephibosheth, in verse 13, lived his life in Jerusalem, taking all his meals at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Isn't that fascinating that the Bible said that at the very end? And then he still walked with his scars. And we think scars are pretty beautiful. And you should not be ashamed of your scars. You should walk with your scars. You're like, Pastor, you don't know the depth of my hurt. You don't know the, how hurt I've been in ministry. And I'm just timid to start over. I'm timid to get, do, jump in again. I'm timid to, to, do, to even... I'm not even talking about ministry in the building. I'm talking about ministry in life. And we're timid and scared and we're... we're we feel like we're in Lodabar, a pastorless society. Until one day, and let me just encourage you just to wait and listen for the voice of the King to call your name and say, you belong. You belong to me. I haven't forgotten you. Mm -mm. I got a table. All your lands restored. I mean, everything you had. You, listen, my friends, this guy went from obscurity to royalty by one act of the king. Did you get that? From obscurity to royalty by one motion of a king. That's belonging. That's me being part of a family. That's God wanting to do good. He does. I, I say that. I'm still like not convinced. I'm like, I'm trying to convince myself with you. He wants to do good for you. He wants to do good to you. He's doing good right now with us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Years and years and years and years and years and years of one message drilled into a person, it's hard to undo, isn't it, in just a few years. You have to hear it over and over, and over, and over, and over again. You belong. You belong. I was sharing with somebody this week, it was a, a phone call I was making, and this gentleman had been so torn down, and he was just a, he's a great guy. He's so manipulated, so broken, so torn down. And I reminded him in a phone call, I said, I want to remind you who you are. You are God's son. You are the son of King Jesus. And you belong. And it's hard. That's the gospel, by the way. Hey, come to me if you're burned out and you're tired and you're sore and you're beat up. Come to me. Trust me. Follow me. I won't put anything on you that's heavier than what you can handle or ill-fitted for you. Trust me. I gotcha. And we're like, oh, man, I don't know. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can trust you because you don't really understand where I've been. You don't understand my past. You don't understand, here's the big one, my resume. Come on. Jesus said, I love your resume. Bring it. I don't care. I don't care where you served. I don't care what ministry title you had. I don't care what staff you were on. 
I don't care where you, you ran sound. I don't care what ministry or you know, pastor or senior leader you were. Come to me. And I'll heal you of everything that's been broken and missing. Man, guys, this is changing my life. This message that you belong. I love this picture. David does a good job of finding my heart in picture. It's not too religious, it doesn't look like. It looks like people are, are enjoying life and they're at peace and they're having fun and, I don't know, playing tag or something over here in the middle. You know, just... I love this picture. I, I, I want to belong to that. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to be a Chinese guy with his eyes closed and his mouth open, just loving life, man. Ah, what are you doing, dude? I don't know, but I belong. I want to be a lady that's... I don't want to be a lady, but I want to be... The, you know, I like the lady on the end that's... You know, it's, look at her. She's at perfect peace. Her, her head's lifted. Her arms aren't raised. She's not too religious. She's just... Man, I... I belong here. Oh... Finally, 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 I belong. Hey, my friends, you belong. Family, Keystone, you belong. I, I, I want you to make sure you know that you belong to Jesus first. That he calls your name and he says, come sit at my table. And he says, I've given you back everything that was stolen from you. And I'm restoring everything that was broken. But don't be ashamed of your wounds. Don't be ashamed. It's still important that we see Mephibosheth was never sort of physically healed. But what about his spirit? You think his spirit was healed? I'm pretty sure it was. Think his emotions were healed? Yeah. You think the trauma that he had lived through was healed? Mm-hmm. Did he carry scars? He did. Was it malicious or mean? No. Mm-mm. The scars you're carrying right now and the wounds you're carrying right now, you know the person that dropped you. I'll just close your eyes for a minute. Somebody dropped you. Somebody's wounded you. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody in their haste and in trying to do their job did not do right by you. Can you just forgive them right now? Say, Jesus, I forgive this person. There's freedom in that, my friends. I promise you, trust me. I promise you there's freedom and forgiveness. Just say, Jesus, I forgive them. I forgive that mom or that dad or that pastor, that Sunday school teacher, that missionary, that spiritual leader that dropped me, that forgot about me. Lord, I forgive them. My friends, if you want to be free, it comes through the opening of forgiveness. Forgive them. Forgive them. Maybe you're the person who has dropped someone. <laughs> if you're like me, you have a long list of those. Can you just ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal? Just ask Him, Lord, forgive me. In my haste, I've dropped people. In my haste, in my prejudgment, I've, I've hurt people. I've, I've wounded people. Forgive me. Father, I forgive them, and I ask for you to forgive me. 
I repent tonight. I repent tonight, Lord. Come on, my friends, let's walk together. Let's walk together in freedom. Let's walk together in perpetual forgiveness. Right where you're at, we're not having an altar call. I just, I just feel like we should pray right where we're at. And God heals our heart right where you're at. And then you're standing before the Father. Maybe you're like me. You're always scared. You're, you're freaking out. You're before King Jesus. You're before the King and you're, you're scared to death that he's going to judge you because of something you didn't do for him. And all of a sudden he welcomes you and says, I want to do something good for you. Father, change our hearts and our mindset about your character. Lord, I asked you to change my character. Now change the way I see your character. I can hear the Lord saying to us tonight, Keystone, I'm happy. I'm really happy with you. Listen, this is revelation for me. This is new to me. It's usually, Keystone, why aren't all the seats filled? Keystone, you're not doing enough. Lonnie, you're not doing enough. You're not preaching enough. You're not praying enough. You're not fasting enough. And tonight, I, for, I mean, I don't know. It might be the first time in my life I hear, man, I'm really happy with you. I'm really pleased. I'm really excited about this art room and you guys making a mess. And I love the fact that we see his footprints all over the place walking through our mess. Let him walk through your mess. Don't try to clean it up before the Holy Spirit comes over to your palate. Don't, don't, please don't. Allow him to see it and allow him to walk through it. Allow him to leave his footprints all over the place. To say, who, who came through here? <laughs> the Holy Spirit came right through my mess. He left all his footprints all over the room. What is all that stuff? That's my mess. It's all my mistakes. It's all my woundedness, all my brokenness, all my pain that I've spilled and I don't know what I'm doing. That's all of me all over the room. You want to live in community? That's community. Today marks the 100th year of Azusa Street. And I ask the Holy Spirit... He descended upon a people a hundred years ago and changed the course of a nation. Could you descend here and change our course? Could you just hover here and walk through our mess and change us? I think I got a yes. I hope, I I hope so. My friends, I want this message to be so real in our hearts. And maybe this isn't revelation for you. You're like, I don't know what you're they're blubbering for. We got this, man. I mean, I know I belong. I, I get it. Well, good for you, jerk. <laughs> Just kidding. You're not a jerk. You belong. You're not a jerk. I, 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 maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe God's doing such a deep work in me and allowing me to see his goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. 
and mercy triumphs over judgment. Three hardest verses I struggle with. Oh, let's stand together. Man, I love you guys. So proud to be part of this family. I really am. I, 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 uh, I love what God's doing. I love how He's shaping us and forming us and miracles and families coming. And I, I want you to, I want you to know that it's more than Keystone, though. Okay, it's not that you know that. It's about the, it's about Jesus, knowing that you belong to someone, the best Father in the world. The biggest thing we deal with is fathers who abandoned or didn't know how to treat their kids or their daughters or their sons. The biggest thing, the biggest issue we counsel people through is father wounds. And I tell you tonight, your dad is saying, you belong. I'm proud of you. Now you don't really know. No, no, no. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Should I take a bath first? No, 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 no. I love your smell. I love that you're dirty. I love that you're broken. I love that you're a mess. I love it. I love your wounds. I love your scars. I love your addictions. <laughs> Bring them with you. At my table, all this stuff's going to fall off. You won't need it because you know you belong. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we maybe, I don't know, me, maybe for the first time in a long time, or ever, have felt this sense of belonging. Through this message of coming in your table and coming and sitting and coming and really feel like I matter to you. I know, I know, I know, I know, I, I know. I hear it in my head right now. I know you died for me, and you rose again for me, you ascended for me. Yes, I know. You pray for me. I know. I have all the head knowledge, God, but it is creeping down to my heart, and it is changing my life. God, I pray the same for your, your people. More than, more than ever. I pray the same for your city. More than ever. I love Colorado Springs. I love your people here, all the weird, quirky, broken, religious people. Holy Spirit, draw them. Draw them in your time and in your measure to this family or a family where they know they can belong. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for calling me by name. Thanks for letting me sit at your table. Thanks for this message. You belong. In Jesus' name, amen.